Thank you for listening to this podcast from Living Hope Church in Skokie, Illinois, featuring the preaching of Pastor Daniel Mann. For more information about our church, please visit us online at livinghopechicago.com. We hope that today's message will encourage you in your relationship with God. So I want to talk to you today about giving thanks, about being grateful, and what the scripture has to say about that. One of my favorite writers is a man named A.W. Tozer, who actually pastored in Chicago for a time, and he said this, that gratitude is an offering precious in the sight of God, and it is one that the poorest of us can make, but not be poorer, but richer for having made it. And I didn't think about that until I read that uh, quote, that the Bible does describe thanksgiving as an offering that we give to God. And normally when we think of an offering, we think of something financial, something monetary, something of our possessions that we're giving and that we don't get back in return. But when we offer the sacrifice of praise or thanksgiving, what he says is it's something even the poorest can do. And they're not made poorer for it. They're actually made richer by giving thanks to God. And one of the classic passages in the Bible about what the Scripture teaches about being grateful and thankful is Psalm 100 and these five verses. It's actually called a psalm of thanksgiving. And it concludes what many Bible scholars call the enthronement psalms. Because if you were to read Psalm 93 and then Psalm 95 through 99... Those psalms deal with God being king. He's the great king. He's the great God who is ruling over the universe, who's worshipped by all of the universe. And here he is, the supreme ruler of the world. And it all culminates in the chapter after chapter of 93, 95, 96, all the way is talking about God as a king. And you get to Psalm 100, and it is this explosion of praise to God. Now, some actually think that when the Old Testament people would enter into the tabernacle or into the temple, that they would chant this psalm. And that perhaps is the case. We don't know that for sure, but we actually don't even know who exactly authored this psalm. But it is a precious psalm for us to read. If you're able to stand, stand with me. We only have five verses to read. And we're going to do that because we believe that the Bible is God's word. When we read the Bible, we read the words of God. When we hear the Bible spoken, we're hearing the voice of God. Psalm 100 verse 1 says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people. And the sheep of his pasture enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy, your translation may say his steadfast love. And that's a great translation of that word too. His steadfast or his faithful love endures forever. It's everlasting And his truth or his faithfulness endureth to all generations. Let's pray together. Father, your word here tells us so much about you. Tells us so much about what it means to be grateful and thankful and to give praise to you. And Lord, we 
are coming upon a, a season of the year for us uh, where we're reminded a lot about being thankful. We want to capitalize on that opportunity to really look and see what does your word say about giving thanks, about being thankful. We certainly don't want it to be one day a year or one month a year that we're thankful, but we are helped by this yearly reminder of what it means to be grateful. And we want our lives to be ordered and directed by your word. And so would you teach us today what it truly means to be grateful? God, we admit, we confess that we are prone to ingratitude. We are prone to complain. We are prone to look at the negative things of life and gripe about certain things that we're ashamed of, Lord. Even me this week, Lord, I've looked back and think of things that I've complained about and griped about and think how how ungodly that was. So I'm prone to that, Lord. I, I know I'm not the only one either. But God, you are so good. You are so faithful. And everything that we get, Lord, is undeserved. So Lord, we pray today you'd help us to see what blessed people we are. Help us to see what a good and great God that you are. And I pray we would leave this place singing. We'd leave this place thankful. We would leave with blessing you in our hearts, filled with the joy of the Lord, and even serving you through this Operation Christmas Child, that we could serve you with gladness, because we are blessed people by a great and awesome God. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I want to talk to you about how that God's Word, God's Word calls us to consider who He is and what He has done, and therefore to give Him thanks. I think that's what Psalm 100 is about. It's, it's helping us to see a clear vision of God and what God has done. And as a result of that, what bursts forth from that is, is praise, is thanksgiving. I read this week something that has really challenged me. It's a short sentence, but it's really challenged me. It's helped me to see why sometimes I'm very ungrateful. And that statement was this, that the foundation of gratitude is the expectation of nothing. That the foundation of gratitude is the expectation of nothing. And what God has been exposing in my heart this week is kind of this sense of entitlement. And one of the main reasons that I'm ungrateful and perhaps you're ungrateful is so often we find ourselves feeling entitled. When all the good things that we receive from God are undeserved. If we start at that foundation level that God has been so gracious to us, He has not given us what we deserve. That's what the difference between mercy and grace is. Grace is God bestowing upon us undeserved favor. That's grace. Mercy is when God withholds from us the evil and the suffering and the judgment that we deserve. And God has been so good to us. So the foundation of gratitude is the expectation of nothing, that God, you don't owe me anything. And all these, but you've given me so much, and all that you've given us is undeserved. So I want us to look at what what Psalm 100 teaches us about God, about giving thanks to God, about what God has done. And I hope it will lead us 
to genuine thanksgiving that lasts not just today, but every day. Number one, I want you to see that Psalm 100 teaches us why. Teaches us why we should give thanks to God. Why we should give praise to God. And when you read Psalm 100, there seems to be a pattern. Uh, Verse 1 and verse 3 are connected. Um, Excuse me, verse 1, verse 2, and verse 4 are connected. And verse 3 and verse 5 are connected. So I don't have a whiteboard up here, but if on one side you could see uh, just verse 1, just verse 2, and just verse 4. And on the other side, there's a whiteboard, and you could see just verse 3 and just verse 5. You would see a pattern. Because verse 1, 2, and 4 deal with these emotions of joy, gladness, praise, thanksgiving, singing. On the other side, though, you see that what is causing those expressions of joy are what we know about God. About something that God has revealed to us about Himself. And so this psalm tells us several things about God and what we know about God, what we experience about God. That's what gives birth to these expressions of joy and gratitude. Let me give you just a few things that we see here about God. Look at them with me. Psalm 100, verse 3. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. The first thing we learn about God is this very simple truth, that He's God, that He's the Lord. God. The word God in Hebrew is the word Elohim. It's the idea of the majestic, transcendent, powerful king. That God is the timeless, uncreated, eternal one who rules and reigns in the heavens. Elohim, the Hebrew word for God, reminds us that God needs nothing. He is self-sufficient. God is eternal. He has no beginning of days nor end of days. That He is omnipotent means He's all-powerful. There's nothing too hard for God. That He's omnipresent. The psalmist would later say in a few chapters down the road of Psalm 139, where can I go from God's presence? If I go deep into the earth, you are there. If I ascend into the heavens, you're there. If I go from east or west, God, I think east is that way, west is that way. God, you are there. Wherever I go, God, you are there. So we begin, how does praise birth in our lives and hearts? We stop by realizing the one that we're addressing, that Elohim, this all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, all-powerful, transcendent God. And then he says, secondly, that he's the one that made us. We didn't make ourselves. We are not self-sufficient. We are not self-existent. We are dependent upon Him. He created us. He gives to us life and breath and all things. He's the one that sustains our existence. He made us. Psalm 100 verse verse 3. It is He that hath made us and not we ourselves. Thirdly, we learn that He's our shepherd and that we're His sheep. And as a shepherd, He leads us. He protects us. What's a shepherd do for the sheep? He leads the sheep. He guides the sheep. He protects the sheep from wolves. He provides for them what they need, gives them food, gives them their necessities for life. And God is our shepherd, and it's His pasture, that, that He owns it all. Psalm says that he, earns the, he owns the earth, the fullness thereof, and they that dwell therein. It, it's His world. We're living in His world. It's His pasture. And we are His sheep. 
What else do we know about God? Verse 5, for the Lord is good. The idea of good is that, number one, he does what's right. He's good. He's not evil. He does what's right. But the other idea of the word is that he does what, 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 what's helpful, beneficial. That God is a, a good God. That what he gives to us and what he allows for us is ultimately something that he uses for good. That God is good. The fifth thing we learn is that he is one of steadfast love. And that's what the word mercy means, is really faithful love or steadfast love. That His mercy, His faithful love, His steadfast love endures forever. And then we learn that He's faithful. It says His truth, or His faithfulness, is what the word truth in this verse means, endures to all generations. And so just stop and think about those five or six things. Why should we give praise to God? Well, because He's God. Because He's our Creator. Because he's our shepherd and we're his sheep. Because he's good and what he does is good. Because of his faithful, loyal, steadfast love to us. And because of his faithfulness which endures to all generations. And it begins here with this idea of what we know about God is what leads us to praise. Matthew Henry said that knowledge is the mother of devotion and of all obedience. Blind sacrifices will never please a seeing God. The idea behind that quote is that when we come to know more about God and we come to understand and experience more of who He is, that's what leads us to this joyful life of praise because we know who God is and what He's done for us. We have an understanding of that. The more we know God, the more we experience Him, the more we will praise Him and thank Him. You know what I think our problem is, though, a lot of times with God is that we tend to study God the way that a university student studies a topic. That we, we even tend to study the Bible like a textbook. And I'm not saying there's not a place for that, because there are doctrines that we need to dig into, and there are truths that are difficult uh, for the mind that we have to really um, uh, pray over and research. The Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There's a part of that where we do need to dig in and, and, and read and find good explanation for things in the Bible. But so often is that we find ourselves coming to church and we're treating our, our study of God and our, our learning of his word the way that a university student approaches uh, a classroom, approaches a, a topic in school. I was really challenged by our growth group we've been going through. And J.D. Greer said that rather than studying God the way that a university student studies a topic, we ought to study God the way that an artist studies a sunset. That that's the way that we ought to view God. And we come to the Bible not just to learn some new fact or some interesting truth or some little quote that we can put on Facebook or whatever it is, but that we come to God and that we are learning about a person. We're learning and experiencing and knowing Him more intimately. And that's what I believe Psalm 100 tells us is what gives birth to thanksgiving and praise. Is when we come not just to know more facts about God, but when we really become experiencing who God is and knowing Him in that personal way, that He is God, He is our Creator, He is our Shepherd, He is good, He is one of steadfast love, He's faithful in all that He does. So Psalm 100 teaches us why we should give thanks. Number two, Psalm 100 teaches us how. Teaches us how we should give thanks. And it doesn't say everything of how we should give thanks, but it tells us four or five things of how 
we can give thanks to God. That's what I said there's a pattern here. Uh, verse 3 and 5 is what we know about God. The other pattern, verse 1, verse 2, and verse 4, is those expressions of joy, those acts of joy that flow from our knowledge and experience of God. And there are several things that teach us how we can give thanks to God. Number one is glad service. Verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. So how can we give thanks to God? One of the ways that we do that is by serving Him. By doing things for His name. Some type of act or labor or work that we do for God. Serving. There's a lot of different ways to serve. I couldn't even list you all the ways. But sometimes you may make a hospital visit and go see someone who's sick to pray for them, to take them something. Many of you have made meals for people who've had surgeries or who've lost loved ones and you take food to them. It's an act of service. Some of you stand out in the cold and welcome our guests at our first-time guest tent. That's an act of service. Some of you work in the nursery and God knows that's an act of service, changing those diapers, right? Cleaning up after them, working with our kids, coming here uh, for VBS when we have that in the summertime. When we gather and go to the Skokie Meadows and take time out of our, our schedules on a Thursday night normally at, at, at 6.30 or 6 o'clock to go there, not to be entertained, but, but, but go there to, to love, to serve, to get to know them, to, to help them, to sing with them, to sit with them, to provide things for them. That's acts of service. Those are just a few. We, we could talk about many other things. We're involved in these things. But when we do those not out of an oblig, obligatory spirit or out of this, well, I'm going to feel guilty if I don't do it. Well, I better bring some gifts for Operation Christmas Child because I don't want to be guilty of the only one in the church who didn't bring it. I don't want everyone looking at me like, there's the bum that didn't bring gifts for the kids. Serve the Lord with gladness, with a joyful heart. That's one way we worship and give thanks to God. We serve Him. We do it with gladness. Singing. He said, come before His presence with singing. He says, I always laugh when I read Joyful Noise because I've, I've, I've stood near some people in church before and it wasn't great singing. It was a joyful noise. We can say that, right? No, no, I don't want to discourage anyone from singing because God loves to hear each of his children sing. Even if you don't think you have a good voice, even if you don't particularly like your voice, even if you don't like to sing, you're not exempt from singing. In fact, you're commanded to sing fact, if I understand the Bible right, there's going to be a lot of singing in heaven, so get used to it if you plan to be there and enjoy it there. God has created us as singing people, and we ought to sing. You know, one of the things I want God to grow in our church is our singing. I think we're a very welcoming church. In fact, I've had people say that. There's a friendly bunch of people here. It's a diverse bunch of people. There's people willing to serve in this place. If I say, hey, can someone, I get 20 volunteers immediately. But sometimes it takes us about 30 minutes to get engaged with the singing. Now, I know we add new songs in, and so we're learning some new songs. But to sing out. Sing out with joy. Sing out with a smile. Sing out with enthusiasm. Why? Because you know what you and I need to keep in mind? Two or three things when we sing. Number one, that we are singing to the king. He deserves our best. He deserves all that we've got. Number two, this is very important. Not as important as number one, because number one is that it's God, and we're singing to Him. And if it's just Him that hears, then He deserves our best. But number two, you know what often happens? Is people come into this place who don't know our King, 
who've never experienced Him, who are exploring what it means to be a Christian. And the last thing I want them to see are us gathered here bored with Him. Acting like, like we're taking bad medicine. Like, you know, you got to go to church. It's bad tasting medicine, but it'll make you feel better. I think that's how a lot of people view church. I don't really want to go. It's like taking, it's like making my kids take baby NyQuil, right? You got to cough. If you take this NyQuil, it tastes terrible, but it'll make you feel better. I think a lot of people view church that way. And by the way, if that's how you view church, it shows people can spot it a mile away. And the last thing we want is people to come in here and say, man, well, they didn't really seem to believe what they were singing. They didn't really care about that song. That we sing because we love God and because He's been so good to us. God's pre- I love what Ian Bounds wrote. He, he said, God's presence begets or gives birth to singing and thanksgiving. While the absence of God from our congregations is the death of song or makes singing lifeless, cold, and formal, which amounts to the same. His conscious presence in our churches would bring back the days of praise and would restore the full chorus of song. And then he adds this, where grace abounds, song abounds. Where people have experienced God's grace, that is where you'll find people who sing. Because where grace abounds, song abounds. So how do we give thanks to God? By glad service, by singing. He says by expressing thanks. Psalm 100 verse 4. Enter His gates with thanksgiving. Into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him. So by expressing thanks. You know, one of the things about being grateful, and I love how even the word is used, that it's thanksgiving. That it's not just, it's not just an emotion that you feel inside. That it's something that you give. Something that you express. And it's something that we have to practice even with one another. It's one thing, if someone does something for you, it's one thing to feel thankful. Like, you know, someone you provided something for you. Maybe you, you broke down the side of the road and someone came and, and helped bring you gas or helped fix your tire. It's one thing to say in your mind, you know, it's really nice of them. It's another thing to actually express that. Thank you for coming to my aid, for helping me. That's thanksgiving. You're expressing that. You're giving to that person thanks. That's why we do Pumpkin and Pie Sunday every year and we have our Thanksgiving testimony service because we want to give people that chance to publicly express before others their thanksgiving to God. And that's one of the ways that we, of how we give thanks is by expressing thanks and then by blessing His name. And he talks about that in a number of different ways, how we praise Him, how we bless His name. You know, I, I have a, um, a piece of paper. I actually need to reprint it out again. I, I use it for so long. But, and, and actually, if you ever want a list, there's a banner uh, right behind Liz over here that has all of the names of God. And I printed all the names of God out and wrote them out and what they mean because each name has a different idea. Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, Jehovah, uh, I am that I am. And then there's all these different names. El Shaddai, which is the Almighty. All of them have a different connotation to them. And one of the ways that you bless his name is you go through the names that God has revealed about Himself and it's ways that we praise Him for those things. I would encourage you to do that. That's one of the ways that we, one of the hows of giving thanks to God by blessing His name. So by blessing His name, by expressing thanks, by glad service, by singing. I heard a, a really neat story about a pastor 
uh, who, who walked up to the pulpit one Sunday, and he had an empty birdcage in one arm. And he started to tell a story about how he met a small boy that week who was carrying that very same birdcage, but it had a lot of birds inside of it. And um, he asked the boy what he planned to do with all those birds, and he says that he was going to feed them to his cat. And uh, the pastor said, no, let's not do that. I'll buy them from you. And the boy said, no, mister, you don't want to buy these birds. They're good for nothing. They don't even sing well. The pastor said, well, I'd like to buy them anyway. And he gave the boy some money, and the boy agreed to sell them. And he brought the bird cage to the church, but there were no birds in it. It was just an empty cage. And this is what the pastor said. He said, the boy told me that the birds were not singers. He said, but when I released them and they winged their way heavenward, it seemed to me that they were singing, redeemed, 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 right? Set free, set free, set free. They weren't singing because they were in bondage. They were in prison. They were in a cage. And while not every Christian has great musical talent. Every Christian has been set free. Every Christian has been redeemed, has been released. And so that's why every Christian is to be a a singing person. And there's a great temptation, especially those of us who have known Christ for many years, to forget all the, the wonderful blessings that have been imparted to us by grace through faith in Jesus. People who've been set free are singing people. So God's presence, he said, come before his presence with singing. I think one of the things that will help you a great deal in your Christian life is to understand the difference between God's omnipresence and God's manifest presence. So omnipresence means that God is is everywhere at once. That God is here in Skokie, Illinois, just as he is uh, in Tokyo, Japan. The same presence, he's omnipresent. He is everywhere at once. So that's a truth about God, something very real about God. Is that a cowbell? <laughs> is there a race today? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so there, so you have God's omnipresence. That's gonna, can you find out if that's our kids back there? Maybe if they're practicing for their Christmas program, that would be hilarious. Uh, thanks, Beth, so much for that's Beth will do everything for whatever. She's great. Um, so God's omnipresence. God's every, shake your head if you understand what I mean. God's everywhere at once, right? God's not bound by time or space like you and me. We can only be in one place at one time. Even you multitaskers, you can only be in one place at one time. So God's everywhere at once. But then God's manifest presence. And what do we mean by that? We mean that God doesn't work the same exact way in every place. That there are places that God shows up, so to speak, in power and in presence and in glory where God moves in ways that he doesn't. For instance, it says about Jesus that he did not many mighty works in certain villages because of their unbelief, because the people were bored, because the people were unbelieving, because the people wouldn't hear and listen. And what I'm saying is that there are some churches, although God is omnipresent, there are some churches, there are some places, there are some cities where God is more actively moving and working. And you know what brings his manifest presence is singing is our praise, is our gratitude. You find me a church that is from the heart singing and giving praise to God, God is there in power among those people. That's where God moves. That's where God works. 
So God's manifest presence is with us when we serve Him gladly, when we sing joyfully, when we express our gratitude to Him, and when we bless His name. So we've learned why we should praise God. We've learned how we should praise God. Let me give you the last one. Let's talk about who should praise God. Psalm 100 teaches us who should give thanks to God. I think there are three things we learn about who should praise God from Psalm 100. Verse 1 tells us the first, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Literally means all the earth. Who should praise God? Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people group of the world. And you know what has been happening uh, all day today? In other parts of the world, we prayed for Libya We've been praying for countries all over every single country of the world. God has people who call Him by name, who trust in Him through Jesus. And they've been gathering, some of them in beautiful cathedrals, some of them in fellowship hall basements like this, some of them in houses and in huts, some of them out in the sun, some of them in the rain. They've been gathering together people from all the earth to give praise. I remember the first time I realized that, my pastor talked about that, and I thought... That when you, when you think about that, that starting, I don't know where it struck Sunday morning first in the world, but when you think about that, just, there's like this unbroken, seamless praise that comes. Do you remember, I remember um, when I was a teenager, so I was born in 1985, so I was 15, when it was um, um, Y2K, when, when, when the millennium struck. And I remember watching on TV as each uh, different city around the world, it would strike midnight, and you'd see all these parties, and they would go to Beijing, and they they would show you Paris, they would show you London, they'd show you all these different cities, and and how that, as the clock would would strike midnight, January 1st, year 2000, all these celebrations. And if you could think of it that way, that that, that when people gather uh, and wake up in the morning, wherever their country is on Sunday, they gather with God's people, and there's this unbroken uh, stream of praise in all these different languages as they gather together. I don't know about you, but that excites me to think about all the lands and all the people who've been gathering for hours now and meeting together to praise, to sing, to worship, to learn about God. So all the earth. Number two, His people, those redeemed by Him. And that's what Psalm 100 is about. It says in verse 3 that He's made us, but we're His people, we're His sheep. If anyone should praise God, it's those that belong to Him who have been adopted and redeemed and accepted by Him. And then verse 5 tells us the third who that should praise God. It's all generations. Because His faithfulness is to every generation. And that's one of the things I think that's so exciting about Living Hope that we have the kids stay in here during our singing. And when we pray together and when we pray for different people of the world, that what we want to do is successfully pass along our faith to our kids so that each generation will grow up praising the Lord and singing to the Lord from generation to generation that they will give thanks and give praise to God. I'm going to close with this. One of my favorite pastors and preachers who's passed away now, but his name is Adrian Rogers. And God gifted him with an incredible ability to to speak truth and to communicate truth. And he says this, that there are four types of people. There are those who constantly complain and grumble. He says, have you ever met any of them? 
He says they can brighten a room the moment they leave it, right? They're just constantly <laughs> complaining. Debbie Downer, we would say, right? Johnny Raincloud. He said this is the lowest level of people. They're, they're the ones who live lives of ungratitude. And then he said the next, though, are, are, are those um, who... So that's the lowest level. The second level are those who live lives of ingratitude, they don't necessarily complain, but they never give thanks to God for His obvious blessings. So they, they don't go around complaining, but they don't go around giving thanks to God either. It's just kind of, they're just right there in the middle. I don't complain a lot. They're not thankful a lot. They're just kind of right there in the middle, right? He said, then there are the third type of person, that people who give thanks to God for obvious blessings. You know, when something good happens, they're grateful. They get a good report from the doctor when they thought something could be wrong. Uh, they get a job promotion. Uh, they, they get a new car, a new home. Uh, they, they get, um, you know, into a college they wanted to get into. Um, their kids are healthy. Birth of a child. Um, something happens. They had a rich uncle that died. Sent them a lot of money. You know, they're obvious blessings. Man, God is good. They're, they're going to they're gonna be in church that Sunday. <laughs> they're going to be giving God praise. Got something good from God this week. But he says the highest level are those who are grateful to God at all times and even in all things. And he said that's the secret to happiness. That people who are not just grateful in a selfish way that God blesses them with things. They are grateful for those things. And we should be grateful because God, every good, every perfect gift comes from above. But that they're not just dependent on giving thanks to God when God blesses them with things that they want but that they are grateful and thankful to God for who He is. And even when things might be difficult for them, they know that God is good. I love what the Bible says about God in Genesis 15. Genesis 15, 1, God was, was calling Abraham, who at the time he was named Abram, to leave uh, his family and country of origin to follow God on this journey. He had made God, God had made Abraham a lot of promises. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to make of you a great people. All these things. And um, Genesis 15, verse 1 God spoke to Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, for I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. I'm your reward. And that's what I think the, the, the fourth group that Adrian Rogers talked about, those who are grateful to God in all things and in all seasons of life understand. The reason they're grateful is they realize that, that God is the treasure, that God is the reward. Not, not the things that I get, not, not the, the blessings I receive. Those are wonderful and great and they come from a good and merciful God. But if all those things go away, God is the reward. God's the treasure. And that is the greatest reward of all. So a psalm of thanksgiving. This passage teaches us why we should be thankful. It teaches us how to be thankful. And it teaches us who should be thankful. If you committed your life to Jesus Christ or made a spiritual decision, we would like to rejoice with you. Please connect with us on our website, livinghopechicago.com. We hope you'll join us next time for another encouraging message from God's Word.